All right, friends, Andy Jenkins, I'm back and finishing up what we began in the previous episode about five signs you might be out of rhythm that you need to press pause and step back into really what the rhythm of creation is, that we are not made to be on all the time. We are made to pause. Now, I'm not going to go back and set it all up and explain the reasons why and how this all fits together with emotional health. However, I would encourage you to go listen to the previous one, two, three episodes where we start building out that argument. Uh, While you do, And if you're kind of scrolling there and looking right now, uh, down in the show notes, I've got a few things for you. Number one is the free post-traumatic stress self-check. That's a 10-question yes-no answers that opens up personalized content and coaching for you on the way to move forward. Number two is the Best of Soul Wholeness Audio. Uh, That is a seven-lesson audio course that you can download just like an audio book and take it with you wherever you go. Number three is the Soul Wholeness book. Now, you pay the shipping and handling on that. I'll ship it to you uh, anywhere from, really, the shipping department where I'm recording this in the garage Uh, at least the garage side of our house where we've got all of that stuff set up. The other side is kind of the gym workout area. So uh, you got me right here today with, uh, here's the scale and this is the printing label and here's one of the books. So if you want that, all the information's down below. Okay, so in the previous episode, I told you that there are five signs, at least just five that I put together, that might highlight that you need to press pause, that you're doing too much, that you could be on the brink of, uh, you know, not an emotional bankruptcy or emotional dysfunction. It's just you got to turn things off. Sign number one was this. Uh, You can't stand to be alone. You can't get quiet. You don't want to slow down, etc., and if that's you, uh, it might be a sign that you're living out of rhythm. Number two, and I'm going to do two, three, four, and five in this episode. Number two is this. This was a major one for me. You often feel sickish or sluggish for no reason. You often feel sick or you're slugging around, and you you have no reason why you're feeling sick. Now, Back when I was running Windows-based computers, I discussed that in the previous episode. It seems like I got a new Trojan horse virus every few weeks. They were hidden in email attachments. They were located in enticing web forms where, hey, click here, fill this out. They're buried in software downloads. They were these little hidden cargo warriors waiting to unleash their fury on your hard drive whenever you downloaded a picture, whatever, whenever they did. The entire system started dragging. The boondoggle was so prevalent that entire companies like McAfee, 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 I think it is, whole Netflix documentary on that guy, and Norton, they ballooned overnight by selling what seemed to be workable solutions to the fiasco of computer viruses. Now, (laughs) as an aside, it is shocking that Macs still run virtually virus-free. Here's what I want you to do. In the previous episode, I started kind of comparing our bodies to a computer and said in the same way that if you leave that computer always on, it starts dragging and sometimes it just resolves itself by turning off 
letting it do a hard reset, and then powering back on. Um, in the same way your computer does that, so also do you. That was kind of one of our first observations. Let me compare yourself to a computer again and say that in the same way you need a regular reset in order to keep performing, when something goes wonky or amuck internally, your hard drive gets sluggish. Most people understand this on a physical level, an upset stomach, a small infection, a headache, it can toss your entire body half speed. What most people don't realize is that the same thing is true emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually. When one area gets affected, they're all affected. So the solution for reading your computer of a virus, it's to download the correct software. And then you, you, you already know this, if you've got a Windows, you reboot the entire system. You've got to let that whole thing kind of collect and then recalibrate as it turns back on, which seems like this radically simple solution, yet we don't do it with our computers because we don't want the downtime from work. We can't pause the output, so we endure shoddy operating systems. That same thing, you catch the irony. It happens in real life to us. We don't want to slow down. We're too busy to slow down. Now, I referred to Michael Hyatt's book in the previous episode, and he said something like this. Uh, Our brains aren't designed to run nonstop. This is in his book, Free to Focus. When we drop things into neutral, ideas flow on their own. Memories sort themselves out. We give ourselves a chance to rest. Now, that happens when we slow down. If you continue in the same book, he says this uh, a few pages later. He says, sleep, sufficient sleep, I should say, keeps us mentally sharp and improves our ability to remember, learn, and grow. Sufficient sleep refreshes our emotional state. It reduces stress. It recharges our bodies. Meanwhile, going without sleep makes it harder to stay focused, harder to solve problems, harder to make good decisions, and more difficult to even play with others. In other words, if things aren't working physically or emotionally, and and, and I don't mean to like glamorize or just downplay any traumatic thing that you've been through. However, it may be that you need more rest or sleep. And even if that's not the quick fix solution, getting the rest, getting the pause, getting the buffer you need will give you some of the margin you need to deal with the tough stuff. Again, sleep is when your body rebuilds. It's when your mind goes to rest. It's when you begin processing and mending and figuring out the stuff from your day. It's when you rest completely. It's when you heal. I mentioned it before. Entire business books are being written not about mission or vision or other things that we typically attribute to business. They're being written about sleep and naps. Now, there are quick sleep lesson, five stages of sleep. Most people never get out of that first bit where you're halfway asleep, halfway awake. That place where dreams and real life blur. Uh, It's that place where you, you know, you might dream that an intruder is breaking into your home, but it's just a kid walking into your room and tapping you on the shoulder. That sort of thing that flips you out. And then you're like, oh my goodness, it's that place where you continue waking up confused about what's real, what's the dream. When you don't get enough rest, it flips your body's internal cadence upside down and backwards. You begin running on adrenaline at night, such that you can't sleep anymore, 
and then you start crashing during the day. You constantly yawn. You always need coffee. You desperately crave a nap. You look. You feel zombie-like. Your, your close friends might even mention it. You, you feel sluggish, sickish. Remember this, too. Your body needs rest when it's awake, space when you're not looking at the phone, not occupying every minute. Your body craves and your mind craves quiet, even if your thoughts initially rebel against it. So, question. When's the last time you daydreamed? You just kind of looked out the window. You got lost in looking at the clouds or the landscape or you're on a walk exercising and your mind just kind of wanders and flows and you kind of think, oh goodness, like I've already been a half mile and you see, it turns out that that daydreaming, I don't mean worrying, I mean kind of daydreaming and sorting things works a lot like sleep. It's a time when your mind wanders. It makes the connections that you need. It begins creatively processing hidden data in your personal internal hard drive. The majority of my best ideas spontaneously emerge from nothing when I'm not thinking about anything except the exercise, the run that I'm enjoying in the moment. A few years ago, I read this book. The name of it is Grunt, G-R-U-N-T. Uh, Mary Roach, the author, recounts lessons learned from the military. She says they studied soldiers who lacked sleep and discovered when we get less than eight hours a night for two weeks in a row, we begin operating at the same diminished capacity we would if we had too much to drink. Except we haven't. And it's going on all day, every day. It's like a perpetual hangover. So, question, do you feel sickish or sluggish? Uh hung over for no legitimate reason, just ponder it. No judgment. It could be, if so, that you're out of rhythm, that you need to press pause because you're moving too often. And let me, let me remind you, that like watching movies and staying up late and scrolling Netflix and scrolling Facebook, you know, and kind of flipping the channels around and not doing anything productive is an example of unproductive productivity. Here's the third sign that you're out of rhythm. You're snippy. You snap. <laughs> so uh, let me let me explain this one. I've got 10 kids. Uh, each one of them has a unique personality. They have their own quirks, you know, just like the adults in the house do. They have traits that make them uniquely themselves, even though they've all been raised in the exact same environment. Uh, here's one thing, even as different as they are, that they all have in common. When they were little and got too tired, they all morphed into midget minions. They snapped. They fought over toys, e even toys they weren't playing with. It's, it's almost like they would see somebody else with it, and all of a sudden, like, that's the one I've been wanting all day, all week, all year. They couldn't complete their sentences. They became tyrant toddlers. Okay, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. You have probably experienced the same thing. Now, all the kids, they were, they still are incredible. They were obedient, tender. They looked out for each other. They generally believed the best in others. They played well together. They still do. They reach out. They enjoy each other, even now, even the adult kids. Unless they 
were tired. If they got too tired, all bets were off. And then I I just knew it was time to say something like, hey, (laughs) you're manifesting something that's not quite you. Let's go lay down. (laughs) Let's just start over in an hour or so. Or if it was too late in the day, I might just say, hey, let's go brush your teeth, put on pajamas, and hit the B-E-D. That, that's, that was how I'd say it. Just spell it out. B-E-D. They, I, I remember some of them even whining, I don't want to go to B-E-D. Sometimes I would even tell the kid, hey, you know what? You don't even have to take a bath tonight. You've had a long one. Tomorrow's a new day. Let's just start again in 12 hours or so. You might have done it. Now, the results of that were predictably awesome. Every time the kid awakened as if resurrecting from the dead a completely new person. Their manners returned. Their kindness was back. They're brand new little people. Turns out they weren't emotionally devastated. They didn't need a PTSD self-check. They didn't need a psychologist. They didn't need hours and hours of therapy. Not that I'm knocking on any of those. I have done all of those and recommend all of those. These kids, they just needed a break. They were tired. Okay, so apply this to me And to you, if you are having trouble sorting through some emotional debris, if you're having problems getting along with others, or you find yourself overwhelmed with the situation, it may be that you just need more rest and sleep. In the same way, toddlers get legitimately crazy. And we recognize that they just need a small bit of rest so they can handle reality. Adults behave exactly the same. Sometimes it is as easy as if you are exploding, you know, or you're kind of shrilling and complaining or you're blowing off or you're hiding or emotional, you're just getting out of whack. Sometimes you just add in to that equation. And I know, you know, you thought you'd never use your algebra. You just add in a little bit of rest, a little bit of time with the rest equals rejuvenation. Okay, so question for you. Are you, just be honest, you're snippy, snappy, you're cranky. If you don't think you are, like you can go ask your husband or wife. They'll, like, they'll tell you, <laughs> maybe. Uh, and if you're afraid to ask them, like that, that might be your answer right there. Okay, so if you feel like an oversized toddler too much of the time, it could be a sign. You know, you're just, you're out of rhythm. You just need to get back into a pace that includes a pause. Sign number four that you might need to step back into rhythm, that you've gotten off pace, is you feel depressed and you can't figure out why. You feel depressed and you can't figure out why. Uh, Let me explain this one. And this is no disrespect at all about depression. Uh, Fall 2018, I filmed myself sitting in a nearby coffee shop. So that was, oh goodness, that's been what, five years ago almost from right now. Uh, Now, I, I go to coffee shops a lot. I was typing a chapter for a project I was completing and I stared out 
this massive storefront window that was next to my table. Outside, the day was perfect. It was not one of those dreary, gray-colored days that makes you feel foggy. Yet, as I closed down the computer, again, without turning it off, that's kind of the way I roll, I thought, ah, I feel really tired. Inside, internally, something emotionally was brewing. Something wasn't quite right. I looked back outside. Sometimes the weather makes me feel tired as if my body mimics what it sees in the environment. Yours might do that too. But clearly on that day, this wasn't that. Why am I tired? I pondered. I went to bed last night around 8 p.m., I thought. I really had. I watched a movie, and then I slept 10 full hours. This doesn't make sense. But then I thought about the bigger life situation in which I found myself. I looked at my phone. It was always on. Still is always on. I reread the previous few text messages. A once close companion, my ex-wife, had drawn a sword against me. She took me to court seven times, like seven, as in 70 times, seven, seven. She insisted on two different mediations and was inflexible at each. She scheduled a deposition at which I sat and answered questions for about five hours. She did all of this supposedly in the name of, quote, reconciliation. This is the path I've chosen towards reconciliation. None of it made sense to me. I'm sitting there in the coffee shop and I'm, you know, had this kind of kicking around in my mind. Even as I'm typing and working on a project, I realized right then as I sat in the coffee shop, all of this stuff kind of shoveled to the back of my mind while I'm working on something else. And then I close that computer. I realize I'm not tired. I'm depressed. And, and no, I might not have met the clinical definition such that a professional could diagnose, treat, and prescribe me. In fact, part of this story is I did at some point go to a trained, licensed psychologist, and he would not diagnose me. But he did kind of give me some tips. In that moment, I was clearly, even though undiagnosable, down. That's the word. It was just I felt deflated, overwhelmed, crushed in despair. Now, get this. Depression and tiredness often mirror one another. Depression and tiredness kind of look the same. Depression can make you feel tired. Being tired can make you feel like you're depressed. Now, sometimes you are both. Other times, you're soul, meaning you feel and actually are depressed, dictates to your body how it should feel. Your body feels tired because your soul is depressed. Then there are times when your body is tired and it makes your soul feel something that might not actually be true. Your body's tired and that makes kind of your internal mindset and everything feel down depressed. Now, that day at the coffee shop, I was depressed. Again, not diagnosable. <laughs> I went to seek a diagnosis, but down depressed. And if I told you the story, the entire story, the one happening in real life at the moment, not just the one playing in my head or the few bullet points I just shared, you'd probably agree. Yeah, I could see why you would be depressed. And I understand why that would make you feel really, really exhausted, physically tired. Now, here's what I've learned about myself through that experience. Sometimes, right now, when I feel a little down, 
especially now that I'm not afraid of words like depression or fearful of confronting the fact that I might feel uh, like blue, the color blue, not red and joyful, blue, sad, down. I can actually recognize when I'm just physically exhausted, so tired that my body's need for rest brings my entire soul down with it, as if begging me to give myself a physical break. Okay, because I can kind of own it. Hey, is it this or is it this? I'm not afraid of either one. And then there's other times when I cannot separate the two and tell which one is which. I've learned I can eliminate the variables by taking a break. I can step back from the computer or whatever it is I'm doing. I can go for a stroll around the block, coffee in hand, you know, with no exercise goal, just kind of, hey, step outside and just enjoy nature. Or I can take a run if it's late at night and just go to bed. When I know that I'm not being lazy, that I'm stewarding my time well and proactively doing the work that the Lord has granted me to do with diligence, I can confidently take a solid pause when my body tells me I need to. Then the feelings tend to buff. And when they don't, I know I've got something deeper I need to sort. So, question for you. Again, not trying to diagnose, treat, or prescribe. Just question, do you feel depressed? You might actually be. Or you might just be tired. Either way, though, it could be a sign that you need to step back into rhythm. Do you see? Here's the fifth final sign that you might be out of sync. Uh, You recently endured trauma or hard things. You recently endured something difficult. Uh, Here's the reality. Most people can't and they should not make major decisions in the midst of trauma or when they're unusually tired. When you're in the middle of something hard... The best thing to do, I think, my opinion, is to step back, catch your breath, and wait. Very rarely will you make things worse by waiting. Rushing, on the other hand, creates all kinds of chaos. And most truly golden opportunities in life, they're not now or never, regardless of the stories we tell ourselves. Rarely are you going to miss out on something because you take a couple days to think through a better decision. Now, let me explain this a uh, best way I know how, probably through a a story. Uh, Several years ago, an elder in our church, he lost his mother-in-law in in a tragic car accident. I was studying at a nearby coffee shop. Okay, now that sounds common when I received a phone call. And... The unique thing about this day was several of the elders and staff members from our church planned to eat dinner at his house that night. Uh, The mother-in-law was unmarried and had been on the way to purchase groceries for us to take to his house that night. This all happened on a Saturday. Uh, I remember because the next week, we all, all those leaders from the church, paused almost everything we could to help him and his wife sort their new normal. Uh, A few of us joined his wife at the funeral home to navigate caskets and costs and decisions which had to be made for burial of her mother. Others kept the kids. Others set up meal trains or ran family errands. I drew three other straws, three other tasks. First thing was this. I accompanied my friend to visit family members and tell them the news that Saturday afternoon 
early evening. Um, that means I delivered death notices with him. And due to where he was emotionally, I'm the one that did most of the talking. It was surreal. It was raw, as many of the extended family members actually denied it. They denied that reality that we did our best to deliver them, and they expressed completely predictable reasons um, why this couldn't have happened and why this wasn't true. They had talked to her earlier that day. They had interacted with her on the phone a few hours before. I mean, every, everything they did was completely understandable, and it was hard. Um, second, I rode to the tow truck lot to gather personal effects and remove other belongings from the totaled SUV. My friend did not want his wife to see the vehicle in which her mother, who had been her best friend, was killed, and he understandably didn't want to go alone. I climbed into the half-crushed car and retrieved several items. Third, I drove my friend to the law firm where his mother-in-law worked as a paralegal for a big-name attorney in town. Same thing. We need to gather her belongings like people do when they retire and move out for good. He didn't want to handle the errand, moving her out of the office 15 years too early by himself, so he asked me to go. Now, looking back at each of these three snapshots, there's no way he could have made the trek by himself. He had just been T-boned with some of the worst news you could ever hear. There was no prep period for it. It was totally unexpected. And it made sense that he needed someone to literally tell him where to go, what to say, and when it was time to leave and move to the next item on the growing list of things to handle post-mortem. While we were visiting the attorney's office, he discovered he needed to handle one more thing. He didn't want to be there alone for it either, even though it was intensely personal. We needed to resolve a life insurance policy for the mother-in-law. Now, the firm provided one to care for her family in the event of an unlikely death, and in that moment, we stood in the midst of that unlikely event no one thought, no one hoped ever would happen. I, I still remember as the senior partner at the firm invited him to come back to his office, my friend looked at me and said, I, I, I need you to come back here. I don't know if I'll be able to remember anything they say, and I've never done this before. Now, for sure, I was honored to go, um, honored to be trusted, to help him meander his way through those moments. We sat in the office thinking we were about to receive a check for about $10,000, slightly more than burial expenses. That's what the policy was supposed to be for. But the gracious boss sitting across the table behind his desk explained that he and his wife, also a partner at the firm, adored the mother-in-law, adored the family. So they increased the original policy on her behalf to provide the same coverage as the partners at the firm received. I mean, he said something like, I mean, she meant the world to us. You never think anything like this will happen, but we wanted to make sure that the family was cared for if it did. He reached across the mahogany desk, the kind all attorneys use, the kind you're probably envisioning in your head, and handed my friend a check for multiple six figures. The boss then said, I'll let you guys talk for a moment. I've got to run down the hall and get some things. I'll be back. Uh, 
Friend looks at me. What, what, what do I do with this? He asked. I, I wasn't expecting it. In that moment, I knew he was looking for leadership. He was wanting for someone to tell him exactly what he should do with all of that money. Now, the question, why would he ask and seek that? It's because he found himself in the middle of trauma. And when unresolved emotions are involved, which they were because this death had recently happened just days before we went to that office, it's almost always impossible to see the path forward. I made right there, I got out pen, paper, legal pad, made a list. I told him slowly, definitively, first, I know that you and your wife have been looking for minivans and plan to purchase one for her and the kids for a few months now. Next week, after the funeral is over and the out-of-town guests have gone home, go pay cash, get the van, exactly like you already planned to do. In other words, I was telling him, there are things that you've already decided to do. Move forward with those things in life the best you can, even though you're in the middle of a difficult situation. And he was like, that sounds good. Like, I mean, like you could see him like perking up, paying attention. Okay, now then what? Second, take the rest of this money and put it all, all of it in an interest-bearing account for at least one year. He started taking more notes, even though I got notes and I'm going to hand him the notes, writing down these instructions. I told him this. I said, don't touch the money for a year. None of it. You don't need to make an emotional decision about it. That means not to tithe any of it to our church, not to go do something emotionally charged in the minute, like take everyone in the extended family on a vacation. Just let it sit. You weren't expecting it. You don't need it to pay your bills. You guys have been doing that. Time will give you perspective on how to make the most of what she's left you and your family. And then after a few moments, I said, add this to the list. Third, don't tell anyone about this money except for your wife. People will come out of the woodwork wanting money. If they know you have it, keep it quiet. (laughs) Now, I did suggest run my advice by the other three guys who ran the church with us and their wives and see what they say, make sure that it kind of tracks. Like, I, I didn't want to be the sole provider of wisdom in the moment. Um, they had all been picking up slack and knew this guy really well. But that was it. I told him it's a vaulted for at least 365 days. Now, a year later, almost to the date, my friend approached me after church one Sunday morning we just dropped a check in the offering. He said it was from that insurance settlement. Thank you for telling me to wait to do anything with the money. You were right. Uh, his wife pulled up outside right as we were talking. It's kind of this, I remember the moment well. It was a white minivan she'd been driving for the past 11 months or so. He continued speaking and said that we would have made so many bad decisions in the moment if we didn't have someone looking in from the outside telling me it was okay and even best to just pause. Getting some distance between us and the accident to help bring some perspective. Thank you. Well, you would have done the same thing for me, I offered. When you're in crisis, that's what I said, the best thing to do is to let someone you already trust, so not a new person, Someone you already trust. This is why you need these friendships now before the tough times come because 
Hard seasons do inevitably arrive. But you got to have someone you trust to help guide you. It's hard to make a decision in those moments. It's best if you can just recover. You can lean on someone else for a little while. Now, I, I've worked in drug rehabs. I've worked in homeless shelters, prison reentry programs. I, I did that for about eight years. Every day I encountered people in crisis. This one was fleeing an abusive situation. That one was facing court. The other one was staring down legal ramifications that finally caught up with them. They were all people in some form of crisis. I learned through all of that that I'm actually skilled at making wise decisions amidst the chaos. I don't freeze. I don't fight. I don't get frightened. I can see all of it as if in slow motion, even though you must sometimes make what seem to be quick, hasty decisions. And I can provide sound counsel that always benefits the other person. Here's the big asterisk there, the big PS. I can't do it if it's my own crisis. And then since I'm personally involved and invested in the outcome, it's hard for me to navigate. It's too emotionally charged. At that point, I need to pause. I need to step back. I need to let someone else steer me. I need their wisdom. Uh, During a season when my ex-wife ghosted me, even pretending I didn't exist in front of my kids, and I would speak in the room, would just act like there's not actually a person in the room, if you can imagine that, while we all lived in the same house with the kids in the room watching this, I found myself walking towards an unwanted separation and then a divorce. I had to lean on the wisdom of friends. Most of their advice was incredible. Sometimes it was merely okay. In any case, they always had my best interest at heart and they consistently provided better counsel than I would have created on my own in every instance. Like most people, I can't make good decisions when I'm tired or knee-deep in trauma. So unless forced to, I don't even try. I step back, I pause. I get perspective. Here's the question and the application for you. Have you been through a traumatic experience lately? If you have, don't minimize it. That's hard work. It takes a toll. And it's hard to rest and reset when you're in the middle of it. For your long-term health and wholeness, it's worth stepping back, pausing, and making sure you move into rhythm. Do you see? Those are four more signs you might be out of rhythm and might need to step back in. Uh, The fifth one, or that was the first one from the previous episode, you can't get quiet. You don't want to slow down. Here's the four we covered here. Number two, you feel sickish or sluggish for no reason. Number three, you're snippy. Number four, you feel down or depressed. Number five, you recently endured trauma or difficult things. Now, you might remember from several episodes ago, I talked about the wounded wrestler. Many times, a simple unrushed pause is enough to provide the grace, the space you need to recuperate, and then continue. So don't rush. Pause. My prayer is that the Lord would bless you and keep you, be gracious, shine favor on you, 
And may you step back, rest, pause, and heal. Grace and peace, I'll see you soon.